Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. It's been a bit of a non-stop week this week because I had a mini road trip or a mini bike trip with Monarch on the back to the Isle of Wight, which is a small island just to the south of England. And I'll get into a bit of that in a few minutes. But first of all, I've had quite a few interesting chats this week with a range of different bikers. So I just wanted to kind of give an update about what I've been up to and some interesting things that I found over the week. And last week when I did the podcast, interestingly, about the North Coast 500 in Scotland, which is this, and I've never done it, but apparently this brilliant huge 500 mile ride around the really interesting parts of Scotland but I had a couple of people contact me and said look forget about the north coast 500 because there are big parts of it that actually aren't that nice specifically around more around the east side of Scotland so I've had a few people contacting me and saying they recommend do the west highlands loop instead of the North North Coast 500. So anyone looking to do a Scottish trip, I can't 100% recommend it myself because I've never done it, but I've been reliably informed, look at the West Highlands Loop instead of the North Coast 500. And that is a much, much more kind of intense, condensed form of finding the best roads in Scotland in essence so it sticks to the west and I have heard from a few people the west coast of Scotland is more interesting with more stunning scenery that's where you get the really stunning scenery and the east not so much so take a look at that if you're looking to do a ride in Scotland and I had an interesting chat with with a biker who's desperately trying to figure out which bike to buy and I wanted to share this because I think this is one of the most interesting and eclectic mixes or mix of motorbikes to choose from. So he's narrowed it down to four bikes. The Indian Motorcycle Vintage Dark Horse, the Indian Motorcycle FTR, which is that cool, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. I think you'd probably say it's a tracker, really cool looking 1200cc bike, 130 horsepower, kind of retro style, but with that modern twist and it looks the business. I think they're about 12 or 13k. Then the BMW R9T, that's probably about 12, 13k as well. And finally, a bike that I don't usually go for, which which is an adventure bike. But there's something about this bike that I really like, and I would actually like to test one, and that's the Honda Africa Twin. I really, really do like those bikes. So they're the four bikes he's trying to choose from. He's been trying to choose for a while, and he said, have you got any any tips on, on what you thought about the Indian Motorcycle Vintage and the R9T? And that's a really, really hard one, because they're all so different. In a weird way, I'm kind of drawn to the Africa Twin, the the Indian Motorcycle Vintage, one of my absolute dream bikes, the R9T, brilliant but too quick and scary for me. But that's that's the world we live in. We are spoilt for choice. One man or woman's dream bike is another man or woman's idea of completely the opposite of a dream bike. So it's really hard to choose. For me, if I was looking at those, 
kind of the, the sensible mid choices would be the Africa Twin and the R9T, but those Indians are very, very special. So I think that's the type of choice you're just going to wake up one morning and think, right, that's it. I'm going for this bike because it's so hard. And it's hard in general. You know, we all as bikers, we all evolve with, with the bikes that we like. We all go on a journey. You know, the bike that we get or the types of bikes that we like when we pass our test are completely different to the bikes five years later and then completely different to the bikes that we like probably when we're 60 years old. I mean, I remember when I passed my test, when I was doing my test, actually, I really wanted a Harley Davidson. And then immediately after I passed my test, I really wanted a sports bike because I passed my test just at the end of the massive sports bike craze when it, when all anyone wanted was a sports bike plastic fairings the faster the better and i was looking at probably a 2002 suzuki gsxr 600 or 750 but they were a bit out of my price range at about 1800 pounds or so but i really wanted one of these and i could never afford it but eventually i managed to afford a bike that was again a bike i'm not going to say very much of its time because they're still hugely popular but that's a super naked and i went through a super naked phase um and i still love the super nakeds but i went for a tramp speed triple as i've said before in these podcasts so i went from well I'm going to say I went for a, a super sports bike, but it wasn't. It was the closest thing I could buy to a super sports, which, which was a Suzuki RF 600, 800 pounds. And that was the closest thing I could do to buying a sports bike. Big plastic uh, Japanese kind of sports tour bike. Never popular. Not many people like them, although they are going up in value a bit, which I was surprised at. But I went from that to the Triumph Speed Triple and... The Triumph Speed Triple, 130 horsepower, super naked, beast of a bike. And I remember when I had that bike, I then I then had to sell it for financial reasons and I got a Suzuki Bandit, which was probably some people don't realise how quick these Suzuki Bandits are, 600cc, like a rocket that would keep up with anything. But after my Bandit, I thought, right, what bike do I want now? And I decided to get it on finance. And I thought, look, what am I going to go for? 4K budget. And I've always wanted a Bonneville. But funnily enough for me, I always thought, no, I can't buy a Triumph Bonneville because it's almost like I'm selling out. It's not quick enough because a lot of people would say, look, they're not quick enough. It's not quick enough to be an enjoyable bike. So I actually spent about two years wanting a Bonneville, but thinking, no, no, Fred, you can't buy a Bonneville it's selling out it's not real biking it's it's just a bike for old men and it literally held me back for two years I always wanted it really deep down even when I had my speed triple I always wanted a Bonneville but I was scared off by thinking 65 horsepower that's not quick enough like I'm going to be left behind all the time you don't get the thrill and adrenaline of biking but how wrong was I I realized as soon as I got it that is complete nonsense worrying about that the only thing that matters with a bike is that the way it makes you feel and I've lost none of that adrenaline with the Bonneville at all and I really don't think I'd go back to I don't think I'd go back to a a sportier bike I really don't I love it so much so so the guy looking at these four bikes he's got he's got a real conundrum 
that's a tricky one it just depends where you are in your biking journey but that is a fine short list of bikes to have and then and this is another one i had a really interesting question someone's looking to buy a motorbike and they sent me a message on instagram they said freddie i've got a short list what should what would you recommend i go for a triumph street scrambler which is the model I think came out in 2016, 900cc water-cooled engine. It's the upgrade to the older models like mine. So he said, what would you go for? A Triumph Street Scrambler or a Scrambler EFI, the Triumph Scrambler EFI. So the EFIs are the ones that were from, I think about 2008 to 2016, water-cooled. But then the new models came along, the Triumph Street Scramblers. Uh, everything basically updated and of course I've ridden I did about 800 miles on the Triumph Street Twin which in effect is the same as a Street Scrambler just doesn't have the maybe higher suspension but in essence they're exactly the same you said which one would you go for because interestingly prices are fairly similar the Triumphs do hold the value very well and I was surprised to see that even the 2008 Scramblers are about five and a half k they literally haven't dropped in value in in about 10 years it really is very interesting and i said to him for me personally if you put both in front of me now i'd go for and it's no contest for me personally i'd go for the street scrambler for me they're just a better bike 20 percent better in every area they just feel more solid more modern uh and and for me put both on the table i'd go for the more modern one usually for me if i have the choice i would always I would probably, probably always go for the newer bike because maybe you lose a bit of character, but you, but new usually means better. And for me, that is the case with these ones. I'm getting the Street Scrambler on the 2nd of July to test out and my hopes are sky high for that. I really cannot wait. I did a poll. Moving on. I did a poll on Instagram. And that was because I was changing, it was actually for my car, but it's kind of relevant. I was changing the bulbs in my Fiat. And about a week ago, I saw an article about some gigantic costs for replacing headlamps on just some very normal cars. Sorry, not replacing headlamps, but replacing the LED cluster on some very standard cars. You know, the, the likes of the Ford Focuses, the, the Vauxhall courses and things like that. And a lot of new cars... They don't have light bulbs anymore. They've just got these LED clusters. And I was seeing some some bills and some costs for replacing these clusters of £500. Because, of course, if your light bulb goes, it's £1. You just go onto eBay, £1 for a light bulb. takes one minute to replace, or it does in my Fiat 500. But if you've got an LED cluster and it goes... That can be £500. Sometimes if you get the the more premium cars, £1,000 option just to replace that. That is seriously painful. And I wonder as things progress, of course, I think the live wire, actually, I don't know if the live wire is LED, but as it it merges onto motorbikes, LED lights and things like that, will there be the same problem? Will we have the problem that it's going to cost us a couple of hundred pounds every time the light goes. I know LEDs last longer, but I'd be really curious about that. And I'd be very curious, are there any motorbike owners who now have a motorbike that comes as standard from the factory with an LED front 
cluster. Very curious to know that. And has it ever gone? And if it's gone, how much did it cost to replace it? Let me know. Send me an email to dob.bs at outlook.com or just send me an Instagram message, uh, which is Freddie Dobbs. Let me know because I'm very curious about that. Uh, I had so many messages this week and it was just so interesting. I, I had to save them because so many interesting chats. I had a Chinese gentleman contact me and said, you know, wow, there's, you're getting some interesting bikes to test out. Did you know, did you know that in China, Triumphs are 35% more expensive? There's a 35% premium to buy a, a Triumph in China than in the UK. And BMW have a 100% higher price in China compared to the UK. So it costs 100% more to buy a BMW motorbike in China than the UK and 35% more expensive to buy a Triumph in China than it does in the UK. And that's so interesting. I guess I, I never think about the different... What are they? Um, customs, charges and taxes that different countries put on foreign products. But it makes perfect sense because kind of it takes me back. Well, actually, before I get on to this little story, I guess it does make sense because I often do have people saying, wow, I love your Triumph. That's a real dream bike for mine, but it's just a dream bike of mine, but it's just too expensive. I just can't afford it. And I, I always reply, I said, in the UK, these are, these are one of the cheaper bikes, actually. Secondhand Bonneville, pick up for about... Get one in the winter, they can start at £3,000. The Bonnevilles are fairly cheap, actually. But, of course, you just don't realise that every country's different. Every country's got the different tariffs. And in a lot of countries, 10 k really, even for a second one, is the minimum you'd need to pay for a Bonneville. And I remember a few years ago, I was on holiday with Monica in Cuba. And although I don't know all of the ins and outs of how it works, I know that in Cuba they have, as far as I know, absolutely mind-blowingly, eye-wateringly high taxes and import charges to bring any vehicle over to Cuba. And that's pretty much why in Cuba, if you go, at least when I last went five years ago, all of the cars are 1960s American cars or larders. So many larder, I think they're larder, is it Reavers, the, the saloon ones? It's either Russian or old American cars. There's nothing else because the cost, the cost of getting these vehicles over to, the, to Cuba and paying all of the, the duties and stuff is so huge. Basically what happens is all of the cars, they're passed down through generation. I remember talking to a few taxi drivers. Those taxis from the 50s, for example, they've been passed down grandparents to parents to grandchildren. If the engine goes, they replace it with an engine from a completely different car. If a lock breaks, it will be replaced with a lock. Sometimes it's not even from a car. Everything is repaired by themselves. No new, Almost no new cars are brought in. It really is absolutely out of this world incredible and we were talking to a taxi driver and he was driving us into Havana one day and he said uh, oh basically he said go and say hi to this bar owner he's one of the the really successful business owners in Cuba and and he said yeah he's got a lovely car absolutely beautiful car and uh, he showed us a car and the car 
was a 10, 10 or 11 year old Peugeot 207 estate. And that in Cuba's class is a, a very, very, you know, good car. And it's just really interesting how different countries are and what different you know, limitations and taxes can do to a car because a car that, for example, in Europe may cost a thousand pounds is incredibly difficult to get into a country like Cuba and actually an aspirational car. Whereas all of the 1950s and 60s cars in Cuba that they pass down through the generations and you see you see about 15 a minute of that would be absolute head turners anywhere in Europe and would people be stopping in the street looking at them, they're completely normal. But you get a thousand pound European car over there that's 10 years old and that's more like seeing a Rolls Royce. It's just so interesting how it is in different countries. Euro 7. Euro 7 emissions. And this really is for cars, but of course it will get passed on in some form or another to motorbikes. And this is interesting because the Euro 7 regulation, let me see if I've got some details up on this now. So Euro 7 regulation, emissions regulations, they will come into play in 2026. That's five years away, but here's what's so interesting about this because a lot of the car companies now are saying that these new regulations that come into play, Euro 7, when this comes in, it will make internal combustion engines, so diesel and petrol engines, unviable. It will make them completely impossible to make them at a reasonable cost. It's just so incredibly stringent by the time that these regulations come and it will be almost impossible for these car companies to actually be able to stick to them without, without it costing £30,000 to buy a Ford Fiesta, for example. So what they're saying may happen is that while they may legally be able to still sell petrol and diesel cars, these new regulations coming into play will make it so unpleasantly difficult to hit the targets that actually it may mean that it makes electric vehicles even more viable when compared to the internal combustion engines. And it's just mind-blowingly complex and expensive to get these cars to pass these regulations that will come into play. It's, it's blown my mind. It's a bit like what I was talking about last week when I was saying that catalytic converters are just getting stolen all over the place. And I had messages from all over the world saying it's the case because there are all these precious metals in the catalytic converters and it's so expensive to make these exhausts now, to pass all these regulations, people are stealing them. Well, this is only going to get worse with the way things are going. I mean, I'm just reading here. This is a quote from Autocar. So according to, according to Cloves, published proposals, future internal combustion engine vehicles could be fitted with a multi-stage super catalyst. So for petrol engines, this would comprise a heated electric catalyst, a pair of one liter conventional three-way catalysts, a two liter particle filter, and an ammonia slip catalyst. It is, I mean, the cost of it, the extra, the extra work that's needed to get this to pass. Oh, it is mind-blowingly complex. 
may well be the case that you know this really is the final straw for for petrol and diesel vehicles because there's going to be a point when it's just not realistically possible to keep making these and a very kind listener moving on a very kind listener of the podcast and uh or, or i think it actually came from youtube watch of youtube he he saw that i'm getting a speedmaster i think i'm getting a trans speedmaster on the 14th of july to test out can't remember if it's may even be just for a week so i need to smash out the mileage because this is a bike i love the look of so it is triumphs cruiser motorcycle they used to have the thunderbird which was a 1700 cc engine but now that their only real out and out cruiser is the speedmaster it looks absolutely stunning it's looks wise a real i mean i can't imagine a bike to look much better it really is absolutely stunning it's got the 1200 cc engine and i cannot wait to try it and a very kind uh watcher of my youtube channel he sent over a few pics basically just to say he's from scotland a scot and he said i'm enclosing a few pics of my speedmaster so you can see how a few changes have made to it and what a few modifications make to the overall appearance of the bike. And I haven't even replied to him yet. I need to reply. I only got the email about an hour ago. And I'm looking at the pics he sent me. And it has absolutely blown my mind. It's one of the best looking bikes I've ever seen. And I'm actually going to... I'm going to get on to Auto Trader to have a look at how much these bikes cost second hand. Because it is an unbelievably good looking bike. Looks like he's done bar and mirrors stunning brown seat aftermarket exhaust put on there he's got a single seat on it oh it's chunky tires it really does look oh a side side number plate as well and just those little those little details that he's changed on it have absolutely transformed the bike and actually it's a bike that i i would actually really seriously consider buying one of these i can't wait to try it i've got the the triumph street scrambler coming that looks like a dream bike from of mine and also the speedmaster and this looks like a dream bike of mine i can't wait to try them i'm going to have to i'm just looking now actually at the cost i'm looking at the cost of these on auto trader i think they cost about 12 or 13k new and you can get a second hand speedmaster and wow they look good wow Let's say 2018 Speedmaster, they come in second hand. 76 horsepower. It's actually more than I thought. That's pretty quick. £9,289. Hmm. That's tempting. Get one with full panniers, backrest complete, touring ready. 1,800 miles, 9.5k. That is really really interesting okay i'll have a look at that later but of course i'll keep you posted when i get that bike but a few modifications to these bike to these bikes really transform it that's a very good competitor for the likes of the what would it be the harley sportsters you know a british british equivalent i can't get over how good that looks i need to reply to him because that is stunning and great cs speedmaster up in scotland as well let me get to it because I've kind of rambled on for a bit more than I thought. And I'm on to 24 minutes, so let me get on with this. The Isle of Wight trip. Monica and I went on a trip to the Isle of Wight. We left on Tuesday at 5 in the morning. 
and the Isle of Wight is an, an island takes about an hour to get from the left to the right hand side of the island just off the southern coast of England Monica and I packed up the panniers two panniers and we left at 5am on Tuesday two hour ride down to the ferry terminal in Portsmouth the cost the return cost for Monica and I and the Bonneville was £47 for the ferry. And this is the beauty of it. In these COVID times, no passport needed, no ID needed, no COVID tests needed. You book the ferry online. You don't even need to print out a ticket. You just show them your email when you get there. No paperwork required at all. Get to the ferry terminal, show your ticket. It's a 45-minute ferry ride across to the island. And I'll be completely honest, I was expecting absolutely nothing from the Isle of Wight because I went about 13 years ago in the winter and I thought it was dated. So I expected nothing. But I've never had my mind flipped 180 so much in my life. Monica and I were both blown away so much that we will definitely be back it's a small island. The roads are stunning. The weather was stunning, so we were lucky. It's got some of the most beautiful beaches, certainly in the UK, but I said in my YouTube video that will come out in a few days. This island gives Croatia, the Croatian islands, a run for its money. I could not believe it. White sandy beaches, turquoise beaches, 11 out of the 14 beaches are ranked as excellent for cleanliness. One of the beaches, or a few of the beaches, are cleaned daily. There's absolutely no rubbish anywhere. You've got winding country lanes in the middle of the island. The southern, they call it the military road, I don't know why, but there's a military road on the southwest tip of the island, and it hugs the cliff with beautiful coastal views. Probably maybe I'm exaggerating, but I feel like about 50 metres away on your left or right-hand side, depending on which way you go. Coastal road the whole way down. Mind-blowingly stunning. It is, it is riding heaven and a beautiful selection of places to eat, great pubs, beautiful history, just charming old villages. Some feel like they've been stuck in time in the best possible way. I recommend it so much to anyone living in the UK, go down to the Isle of Wight. One tip I would give, if you're going on a motorbike, don't worry about booking in advance. See when the weather's good and book a day or two before you actually leave because with good weather, it looks like, it looks like some bits of Croatia. I know that sounds ridiculous and I may get some messages saying, Freddie, just stop talking nonsense, but it blew my mind, really go there it, and the pro property prices it's great value you can camp there for probably under 20 pounds accommodation you can get for about fifth, uh, 44 from 44 pounds a night for for hotels it is absolutely superb it's it's heaven out there it really is i i just couldn't believe it i so so highly recommend it um, and even if you're coming from abroad, you know, I know we get quite a few, I think, Germans and Dutch coming over to the UK for a couple of weeks over the summer. Wherever you're coming from, go over to the Isle of Wight. It's also on the south coast of England. So it's really easy to get to if you're coming in from, for example, Dover. It's only, what would that be, about an hour and a quarter along, all the way along the coast of Portsmouth. Mind absolutely blown. And being an island, 
everything's within 45 minutes. Wherever you are, you're within 45 minutes of another town you want to go and see, another coffee shop you want to go to, a different beach, anywhere at all. Amazing. And it's the gear that, you know, the gear that we used, Monica and I, I remember the last big trip I went on, it was about two years ago before I started getting into or working with in the motorcycle industry and I I only had full leathers with these big plastic boots and I remember all of my panniers my canvas panniers were packed up with with my gear with my normal clothes because I'd have to have a change of clothes every time I got off the bike because you don't want to walk around in 26 degree heat in big plastic boots leather trousers and a huge leather jacket so all of my panniers used to be packed up with normal normal clothes but now we had monica and i on the back and monica took up um monica took up probably about two-thirds of one panny with her, her clothes i took up about a third of a pannier with just you know a sponge bag and a spare t-shirt that's it and the other pannier had, we took a drone, camera, things like that. So two panniers for Monica and I, more than enough. Because of the lifestyle gear, 26 degrees, and you jump off the bike and you just go exploring in your normal lifestyle motorcycle gear. Revit gear I had, actually. I had the Mohawk 2 boots, the Alpha Chinos sand colour from Revit. They were brilliant, absolutely brilliant to get these chino riding trousers so sand color riding trousers brilliant then i had a revit uh, kind of navy denim jacket that was very cool in the warm weather as well and that was the difference monica doesn't doesn't have as much riding gear as me and she was wearing her normal all season kind of garibaldi waterproof jacket and she was unpleasantly hot and i'm always the one with a sweat problem but i was happily skipping around in my summer focused lifestyle gear jackets because the wind could go through me and Monica was there overheating terribly so that's the difference it, really my mind was blown at how much more pleasant and enjoyable it makes it if you can have the lifestyle gear that works just as well on the bike as it does off the bike um bike of the week this oh, I just got overexcited this podcast I'm going over time bike of the week I've gone for a Honda africa twin and listen to this honda africa tin twin 2016 model 1000 cc 40,000 miles so on the higher side but if you listen to my podcast you know that that doesn't bother me one bit and hondas will go on forever 5800 pounds 5,800 pounds on Auto Trader right now for a 2016 Honda Africa Twin 1000cc. Superb value. It looks absolutely brilliant. And let me just compare that to. Let me let me compare that to another Africa Twin same year but with 13,000 miles, 7,200 pounds. So £7,200 compared to £5,800. Grab a bargain, Honda Africa Twin on Auto Trader right now. 40,000 miles, absolutely nothing. And I'll wrap it up with a question. Someone sent me a question. Tips for packing on a motorcycle trip. Well, that perfectly leads on, actually. The best tip I can give, and it's something I've only really got into in the past year and a half lifestyle motorcycle gear will absolutely 
change your life packing for road trips. It's the first time I've done an overnight road trip wearing lifestyle motorcycle gear and I cannot tell you how much stress it saves. So, you know, the, the gear that works just as well on and off the bike, the gear that looks like it's not riding gear, you can jump off your bike, go for a pub lunch, go to a coffee shop, leave the bike and you don't have to worry about it. It is game changer it's absolutely brilliant so you know the jeans you know riding jeans that look like normal jeans I wore riding chinos that look like normal chinos you can get so many cool riding shirts I wore a riding denim jacket and of course boots cool looking boots that could look like Timberlands for example that means that you don't need to pack any shoes in your panniers you don't need to pack a change of trousers you don't need to pack a spare jacket because you wear everything on and off the bike it transforms it and means you can pack so lightly it's incredible and then apart from that all I take sponge bag one or two t-shirts and all oh, the waterproofs take take some waterproofs that can be folded down really tight and ideally I got some from Triumph but I'm sure lots of companies do them ideally get some waterproofs that actually fold up into their own little mini bag so you can just squeeze them away down the side of your pannier but apart from that if you're going camping I've got a tent that I bought for £35 from Halfords and I've got a sleeping bag that I bought for £25 and I usually just bungee cord those to the back of the bike and that's it. Oh and the only other thing, absolute game changing bit of kit, Quadlock wireless charger and it's not an advert, you can, I'm sure you can have a look at other places, I just happen to have Quadlock. If you get something like a Quadlock with wireless charger it means there's no wires, it means you don't need to spend money on for example a, a tom tom or something like that for a bike your phone is your sat nav get it with a vibration dampener so it won't damage any of the internals on a bike i can vouch for that i've ridden in off-road a lot so get a vibration dampener get a quadlock wireless charger so your phone is your sat nav and also it's constantly charging when whenever you're riding and that along with the lifestyle riding gear two of the biggest game-changing bits of kit that I've got. I cannot tell you how many times I used to just faff around with having to take my seat off my old Suzuki Bandit or Triumph Speed Triple and then plug in my iPhone wire to the USB port that I'd attached and then wrap it around the side of the bike. Uh, so much hassle. And then I had the physical phone case, this massive plastic thing that I'd put my phone inside, attached to my handlebars. So much hassle. Get a quadlock. I really do recommend them with a wireless charger. Absolute game changer. They come with the battery to USB terminal and everything. So even on an older bike like mine without USB, quadlock will sort that out for you. Just get one of their, their USB things. It's amazing. And I'll wrap it up there so I don't go on too long and I'll let you get on with your days. But thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Have a brilliant weekend and I'll hear you or I will... What shall I say? Well, I hope you'll listen to me in the next one. Take care and goodbye.